Hello everybody, thank you for joining me tonight for Living the, the Dream. Tonight is Monday, December 14th, 5 p.m. on Monday, and tonight's teaching is entitled Living the Dream. Are you living the dream? You know, living the dream is an, an American idiomatic phrase meaning to experience the achievement of every success that one aspires to achieve. And tonight I want to talk to you about living the, the dream and specifically how Joseph lived a dream. Genesis 41 verse 1 says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. We're going to spend a good portion of tonight's teaching talking about Genesis 41 verse 1. The Torah reading for this week, which began on, on Sunday, December 13th, is Parsha Miketz. And Parsha Miketz consists of Genesis chapter 41 all the way through chapter 44, verse 17. Parsha means portion, Miketz means the end. And this Torah portion is about the end. Specifically, Genesis, from Genesis 41, verse 1, which begins Parsha Miketz, where it reads, And it came to pass at the end. And tonight we are going to focus on at the end. And, and, and in this Torah portion, or Parsha, we see Joseph living the dream. How many of you would like to live your dreams? Living the dream will bring you to an expected end, as Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And I want each and every one of you to know that God has an expected end in mind for you. We're not called to live our lives aimlessly. We're not called to live our lives without a target. But God has given each one of us an expected end. And one way the Lord will reveal the expected end to you for your life is through prophetic dreams. And there are times where God will bring dreams to you and show you what he's going to do with you. He may show parts of your destiny to you. You may not know the entire picture. Joseph had no idea that he was going to be sold into slavery and experience years and years and years of disappointments, and even 22 years of separation from his father to see all of his dreams come to fruition. But I do want you to know that you are called to live the dream. Again, Jeremiah 29 verse 11 tells us, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And I want you to know that God is thinking about you. God is thinking good thoughts toward you. God's thoughts, thoughts towards you are not thoughts of judgment. God is not planning out every single way he can make your life miserable. You know, sometimes we think that all that God wants to do with us is punish us. But that is not the way God thinks towards us. That what God thinks about us are thoughts of peace and not of evil and to give you an expected end. And I, and I encourage every one of you to expect God's plans for good to come into fruition in your life. Because we serve a good, a good God, don't we? We serve an awesome God. And again, God does not expect you to live your life like you're living aimlessly. It's not like you're in a boxing ring, blindfolded, and not knowing where the next punch is coming from. No, God, God has, an, has good plans for each and every one of you. And I pray that this word tonight will encourage you even in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, that even in the midst of the darkest season in our lives, that God is here. Amen? And I also want to wish you a happy Hanukkah. Tonight begins the fifth day of this Feast of Hanukkah, and the Torah portions that we're reading tonight are portions that are read 
during the Feast of Hanukkah. Amen? And prophetic dreams are one way in which God will bring you to an expected end. So I, mean, I, I encourage all of you to live the dream. Not the way the world lives the dream or, or, with, or the way the world sees the dream. I want you to see the dream from the perspective of the Lord. And the Lord has thoughts towards you and those good thoughts that the Lord has for you are directly tied to living the dream. And so what we're going to see here is, I mean, Joseph is going through one affliction after another. He's going from one trial to another trial. And whenever it seems like it's going to be over, there's another setback that takes place. But the stage is being set for the rise of Joseph to be elevated to the position of viceroy over Egypt. Basically, Joseph was second in command. And, and, and it, it, he, God took him, raised him up to such an awesome position. And he saw all of his dreams come into fruition. He followed his dreams to the dotting of every I and the crossing of every T. And the end also prophetically represents the Lord setting the stage for you because the Lord is setting your platform too. The Lord is putting the chess pieces into position for you as well that you may step into the destiny and the high calling that you have in Christ Jesus. And my prayer, my prayer today is that you will discover the dream that the Lord has placed in you through the Word of God and you too are living the dream. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to participate in living the dream tonight. Your next stop, the Destined for Torah Zone. So as is our custom, let's begin with a Torah blessing. I'll pray in English and then in Hebrew, and then I'll close with a general prayer for the service. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with thy commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the word of Torah. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kideshanu Bemitzvotav, Vetzivanu La Asok Be Divre Torah. Heavenly Father, tonight I just pray that your will be done in this service tonight. I pray that your anointing will fall. And Lord, I pray that the potency and the, the strength of the anointing tonight will be just as strong, if not stronger, than being in a service where we are all physically present. I ask you tonight, Lord God, that your spirit will move. Lord, I ask you to empty me of myself, that there be none of me and all of you tonight. And Lord, I pray that my will to be nullified in your presence and that only Jesus will speak tonight and that the Holy Spirit will magnify the name of Jesus. And we just glorify you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I want to speak to you for a moment about the Joseph-Hanukkah connection. Because it's very interesting that every year around the time of Hanukkah, we read three Torah portions. Last week's Torah portion, which was Vayishev. This week's Torah portion, which is Miketz. And next week's Torah portion, Vayigash. We've already studied Vayigash. You can actually catch that teaching either on, the, on Facebook Live. Uh, just go scroll back in history on my Facebook page, Destin Fatora, And I'll also, have, I'll also upload it later on this evening to YouTube and also to all the major podcast carriers. And so the, these three Torah sections or portions or parshiot, Vayishev, Miketz, and Vayigash, all relate to the life of Joseph and his brothers, and they're always read during Hanukkah. 
And I want you to know that this is not coincidence. This is all by divine design. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3.1, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Now what Solomon is teaching is that if you live under the heavens, if you live under the realm of God's glory, if you live under divine providence, then you can be assured that everything that, everything that takes place in your life is according to God's timing and God's seasons and God's purpose. And I want you to imagine in your life and look at all the great things that you have experienced in life, all the great accomplishments that you may have experienced, maybe promotions, uh, pay raises, whatever may have taken place that was significant in your life. I want you to think about if God gave it to you much sooner and how you would have handled it. Because sometimes if the blessings come to you before the appointed time, you may squander what God gives you. So sometimes you may need to go through a season of testing and preparation in order to enable you to be able to handle the blessings that God wants to give you. And this was the case in Joseph's life. Joseph, God could not elevate Joseph to viceroy over Egypt when he was at the age of 17 with all of his character flaws. It took, much, it took many years of character refinement in order for him to become ready to receive that, that, that position that God wanted for him. So to everything, there's a season and a time to every purpose that God has for you. And again, as we see from, Gen from Jeremiah 29, 11, that God's thoughts towards you are good thoughts. The plans that God has for you are good plans. Amen? See, there's, the reason why I keep reiterating this is I really feel that there are folks that are watching that they only see God as a God of judgment. And they always see God as one that's trying to hinder them. And really the opposite is so. We, we are the ones that are hindering God's plans. And God's thoughts towards us are nothing but good thoughts towards us. Yes, there'll be times where God will correct us. There are times of discipline. There are times of character correction. Even a correction in the path that we're going in, but that's because he loves us because he wants us to he wants us to live to our highest potential And there there is a season for everything as we see in Ecclesiastes 3 and this directly relates to Leviticus chapter 23 verse 4 Where Moses says these are the feast of the Lord even holy convocations Which ye shall proclaim in their seasons these feasts are not just times that we get together and have parties and eat lots of good food and have lots of good drink. That's not what the Lord is speaking about here. This is not the feast the way we envision a church potluck or, or some type of a physical gathering. This is actually timed in, in, on God's calendar, on the Hebrew calendar, where God will meet with His people in the most phenomenal ways. For example, right now we are in the Feast of Hanukkah. This is an eight-day feast. Hanukkah is a feast it's called, the, it's called the Feast of Dedication. It's a feast that has many different, uh, many different meanings. But what I want you to know is every feast is, is, is a way in which God will meet with you in the most propitious way. And this is all part of God's master plan. And the story of Joseph is destined to be repeated with, the, with, with every single Hanukkah. Amen? Uh, for those of you that are new, new to the Hebrew feast and... I was actually had a, the privilege of sharing with someone on Saturday about the, uh, 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 about the way I interpret God's word. Is uh, there there are many ways that we study God's word and the many ways that we interpret the scriptures, and there there and there are many different facets facets in which you approach God's word, or many different lenses through which you research God's word. And one way is is through the is through the Hebrew feast. 
because every major event that we read about in scripture takes place during a Hebrew feast. For example, the Israelites came out of Egypt during the feast of Passover. And Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago during the feast of Passover. Another, another event I want to share with you is at the time of the giving of the Torah, when God gave the Ten Commandments um, at, uh, at Mount Sinai, fifth, on the 50th day after the Jews left Egypt. That 50th day is known as the Feast of Shavuot, meaning weeks. And that was fulfilled again 2,000 years ago. After Jesus' resurrection, he walked upon the, uh, upon the earth for 40 days. On the 40th day, the day that we call Ascension Sunday, Jesus ascended to heaven. And then for, two, for, for 10 more days, the next 10 days, the, the 120, which include the apostles, assembled in the upper room. And if you count 40 plus 10, you get the number 50, and the 50th day is Pentecost, the day in which the Holy Spirit descended in the upper room. So the very day that God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai uh, through Moses is the very same day, the very anniversary in which the church was born. So the day that Israel, uh, the nation of Israel was born is the very day, is the very anniversary of the church being born. And again, these events took place during the Hebrew feast. And the feast of Hanukkah is no different, even though this is considered a minor feast. It, it, it's, it's not a feast instituted by Moses. This is a feast instituted by the rabbis. And the Feast of Hanukkah celebrates many different things. I'm not going to focus on Hanukkah tonight, but I do want to highlight a few of the themes of Hanukkah. The first theme of Hanukkah is the triumph of holiness over evil. As many of you know, that during the days of the Maccabees, around, I think around 150 BC and maybe um, and further back, maybe down, I think back to 165 BC, I believe, it, 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 there was a time in which the, Greek, the, the Greeks ruled over the Holy Land. And Antiochus IV uh, was, was busy about Hellenizing the Jews, and the Torah be became illegal. And many Jews compromised in their faith, and there was infighting, and, 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 and many Jews forsook the faith and gave in to Hellenistic practices. But there was a, there was a family known as the Hashemonian family, the priestly family, and what they did is they, 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 they began a, a, rev a revolt and it was several thousand Jews that revolted against over 40,000 Syrian Greeks. And they took back the temple. And when they took back the temple, they only found enough oil to keep, to keep the menorah lit for one day. So they used that one jar of oil, which was ritually pure oil, certified by the priest. And they, they, and they lit that menorah for one day, but God kept, kept the lamp lit. Or I should say the menorah lit for eight days, and thus we have the Feast of, of Hanukkah. And so, what we see here in Hanukkah is we see a celebration of the, uh, uh, the, the, tri the triumph of holiness over evil. We see the Hashemonian family that would not compromise into the, into the Greek Hellenistic culture. We see the weaker and smaller Jewish army coming against numerous Seleucid Greeks. We see the rededication of the temple, and we see the concept of remaining faithful and not compromising in our faith in the midst of a culture of compromise. For those of you that have been following me for the last several weeks, I've been talking extensively about a culture that we live in right now, especially here in America, where even the church is giving in to practices that are very Hellenistic in nature. And tonight what we're gonna see is we're gonna see how Joseph triumphed over darkness. 
Because I want you to imagine what took place in Joseph's life. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was brought into Potiphar's house, and he was sold numerous times before he came to Potiphar's house. And then the wife of Potiphar tried, uh, tried to seduce Joseph into having a, an adulterous relationship with her. And Joseph resisted and fled the scene. And then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. She's called Potipharah. And, and she falsely accused him and had him thrown into the prison. And then he was thrown into the king's prison. And he went through, a, he went through one heartache after another heartache. But, jo, but this was all part of God's plan to, to raise up Joseph as viceroy over Egypt. And I want you to know that you may not understand the suffering and the trials that you are going through right now. You may not understand the rejections that you go through. You may not understand why you apply for this job and the next job and the next one and you don't seem to get an offer. You may not understand all the turmoil that's taking place in your life right now. But I want you to know that God has an expected end for you and it's an end for good. And I want you to know that if, if you are, if, if, that you are, that God is preparing your platform as well because God is no respecter of persons. And one of the reasons why the story of Joseph is in the Bible is to give us the blueprint for our destinies as well. And you, we're going to see how a Hebrew slave and prisoner is promoted to viceroy over Egypt. And Egypt, just so you can understand it, Egypt was the superpower of that time. Egypt was a, was a nation with the strongest military, uh, probably the, a nation with the most culture. It, it, was, it was the most elite nation at the time. And, and, and God, God raised up Joseph in, 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 within the confines of Egypt. And let me share a little more about Hanukkah, and I want to show you how Jesus honored the feast. In John chapter 10, verse 22 and 23, and again, I want you to know that there's nothing written in Scripture just to teach us history. Everything that's written in Scripture is, to, is there by divine design. And Jesus honors and elevates the Feast of Hanukkah by, by, by what he did in John 10, 22 and 23. And it says, it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. What I want you to see here is Jesus gives reverence to the Feast of Hanukkah by coming to Jerusalem during the Feast of Hanukkah. See, the, Jew, the Jewish men were required to come to Jerusalem three times per year when the temple stood. It was during, uh, d during, during, during Passover, dur during, um, sh you know, during the, the, the three main feasts in which they were required to appear in Jerusalem. But Hanukkah was not one of the required feasts. We have Purim, we have, we have Sukkot, but uh, what I want to focus on is that the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, was not a required pilgrimage feast. But Jesus gives reverence and honor to the feast by appearing in Jerusalem during this feast. So, because I really believe God, that God the Son, Jesus Christ, was honoring uh, Joseph and honoring the Feast of Hanukkah, and, and really honoring what Hanukkah represents. Now I want to speak to you about the doubling effect. For the next several minutes, I want to speak to you about the doubling. And the miracles, the challenges, the difficulties, even the children that he bore, everything that takes place in Joseph's life appears to be in doubles. And as we begin Parsha Miketz, it begins with a, with a double as well. It begins with two years. So Genesis 41 verse 1 reads, And it came to pass, 
at the end of two full years that Joseph dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. We're going to break apart all these components in a little while. In last week's in last, last week's parsha by Yishev, we see the beginnings of Joseph's journey. And in every difficult circumstance, Joseph learns to prosper. And everything that occurs in his life occurs in doubles. Can you say double? Let's look at let's look let's go to last week's parsha, Genesis thirty-seven verses three and four. We're going to see the first double. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. So we see the first double. He, he, we see him as the son of the old age, and we see him receiving a coat of many colors. And then verse four, when his brothers saw the father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. So the next double, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably unto him. And then let's go to verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet more. That's verse 5. And then let's look at verse 9. See, even in his dreams, we see a double. We see two dreams. Verse 9, and he dreamed yet another dream, and told it to his brethren. And said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. So we see two dreams. And then let's go to Genesis 37:15. Joseph lost his way and was directed by an angel. So we see we see another doubling. He lost, in verse 15 it says, And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And then the, then the man, the, Joseph tells the man what he's, that he's looking for his brothers, and the man shows Joseph where to go. Now one thing I want you to share with you, this is not obvious from the text, but you learned this from the Midrash, from, from rabbinic commentary, that that certain man that found Joseph was an angel. It was the archangel Gabriel that found Joseph. And he was wandering in the field. And I want you to imagine something. There's, there are probably many things going through Joseph's mind. And one of the rabbinic opinions is that Jacob sent Joseph to find his brothers in order that he may bring, rep, bring rep, reparation in the relationship between siblings. So there are many things going on here, but God is orchestrating events. And the certain man that found him, being the, arch, the angel Gabriel, he, he asked Joseph, what are you looking for? And Joseph tell, tells him. And then, jo then, he's, then Joseph is directed to, to his brothers. And that, and, and that sets events into motion for the selling of Joseph into slavery. See, this is all part of God's plan, and God is orchestrating events. See, all of us may have plans that seem good to us, but ultimately God is in control and God will make sure that we all come to a set end, to an expected end. And I want you to know that God's plans for each and every one of you is an expected end. And God's thoughts towards you, per Jeremiah 29, 11, are thoughts of good. Amen? I'm going to keep saying that over and over again, because I believe many of you need to hear that, including myself, to know that God is in control. So that's, that's the next double that we see. We see that we see that he found a certain man in the field, and he was lost, and he was directed on which way to go. Now let's look at the next double, Genesis 37, verses 23 and 24. And 
it, this speaks about Joseph was stripped of his royalty and cast into a pit. See, we see earlier that Joseph was given a coat of many colors by his father, by his father Jacob. And that coat of many colors has many different meanings. I encourage you to go back to last week's teaching to hear the details about that coat of many colors. But tonight I want to focus on another aspect of that coat. And that coat represents royalty. It was a kingly coat. It was a priestly coat. And his brothers stripped him of his royalty. Because stripping him of his coat represented stripping Joseph of his royalty. And then he was cast into a pit. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus, how Jesus was stripped of his garments and how, and, 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 and how he was led on the road to Calvary? Because the life of Joseph, coming up to the point of where he becomes viceroy over Egypt, represents Joseph in the, in the, in the life of Jesus, in his 30, year, his 30 years of life upon the earth, leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. And after Jesus, I mean, after Joseph is promoted to viceroy over Egypt, that represents Christ Jesus in his in his millennial reign um, a, a, after his return. Amen. Which the, which we are still yet to encounter. And so, in verse thirty, in Genesis thirty-seven, verse twenty-three and twenty-four, read, and it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into the pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. I can give you an entire teaching on the pit being empty, but I don't want to focus on the pit tonight. I want to focus on the doubling because everything that takes place in Joseph's life is in twos. Joseph was sold into slavery two times. And I want you to see this in Genesis 37 verse 28 and verse 36. Again, this is another, another double. Then there passed by Midianite merchant, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. So that's the first selling. And then in verse 36, and the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. So again, we, that's the second that, that's another double that we see in, in the aspect of Joseph's slavery. Now let's look at the promotion of Joseph. Joseph was promoted in the house of Potiphar. See, one thing, what, what will happen to you in your life is that when the anointing of the Spirit of God rests upon you, when God's favor rests upon you, no matter where you go, you can expect promotion. You can expect elevation. Even if you're a slave, you can expect to be the best slave in the house. Wherever you are, you can expect the anointing to raise you up. So let's look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 and verse 4. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down hither. Verse 4. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him and made him overseer of his house and all that he had put into his hand. So it just, it just, he just goes from promotion to promotion. And the next thing I want you to see about Joseph is that Joseph resisted immorality. And, that, <coughs> and that's something that you can expect in your life as well, is that you can expect that the grace that God gives us, and, and as we 
live our lives being led by the Spirit of God. Because if you're led by the Spirit of God, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's why we don't have to worry about all the commandments in God's Word. Because if we're following the Spirit of God and being led by the Spirit of God, you are going to fulfill all seven Noahide laws. The seven laws that are given to all of creation. And if you're a Jew, you're under 613 commandments. But, but, but many of us that are watching as, as Gentiles, we, we, we are under the seven Noahide laws. And look, and look what takes place here. We see a doubling. She caught him, verse 12, Genesis 39, 12. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And that's the, that's the first. And then, he, then the second part of the verse, he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. So we see a major test that he passes. And that major test was that he resisted, he resisted immorality. And that was also one of the tests during the days of the Hashemonians, during the time of the Maccabean Revolt, is that many Jews had given in and compromised in their faith. And not only did they forsake the Torah, they also gave in to immoral ways. And so I want you to know that one, one of your tests during this season is to, risk, is to resist immorality. Now the next double I want to share with you is, because not, not all the doubles are good doubles. Some of the, some of the doubles are, seem to be negative. But behind it all, we see Hashkaha Protis. We see personal divine providence and God is in control. And all these events are necessary for the elevation of Joseph. And that elevation is necessary because Joseph was going to be used by God to save not only the Jewish nation, but to save the world's population from starvation through, in the famine through the wisdom that God gave to Joseph. Now the next doubling we see is Joseph was thrown into prison because he was falsely accused of trying to have relations with Potiphar's wife. And what we see taking place in verse 20 is, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, and a, play, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Now in that prison, I really believe this is the place where Joseph learned the protocol of the Jewish, not the Jewish, but he learned the protocol of the hierarchy and the royalty of, of Egypt. Uh, very soon I'll be releasing a book called the, the Etiquette of God's Kingdom, and I'll share that etiquette with you in much more detail. But tonight I want you to know is that the suffering that Joseph went through and, and, the, and being placed in the king's prison where all the uh, where royalty was imprisoned, where we see the butler and the baker who, who, who were direct attendants to the king, the pharaoh of Egypt, were put in the king's prison. And Joseph was put in that prison as well. And I believe this is where he learned royalty and he learned everything that he needed to know in order to rule in Egypt. And sometimes where God puts you may seem like a demotion, but sometimes that demotion is going to be used for your promotion. And so God used this time in Joseph's life to teach him the protocol of the kingdom of Egypt. But wherever Joseph went, he experienced promotion. You know, he was promoted in Potiphar's house. He was put in charge of everything that Potiphar had. And now when he's thrown into the king's prison, he, he, all, he also received promotion in the prison. In Genesis 39, verse 21, 22, and 23, but the, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand 
all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And I want you to know that God's going to bring you into a place where you just go from one promotion to the next promotion. You know, you may be a preacher where you, you no longer have opportunities to, to minister. But you know what? You can expect, and that may be a type of prison for you, but you, you can expect that to be an opportunity for God to open doors for you to where you can, you can, you can expand your ministry to even a greater audience online. But whatever you do, whatever circumstance you go through, whatever setback you go through, you can expect the Spirit of God to, to promote you and to elevate you. No matter what, what situations you are going through, I want you to be open to the Spirit of God prospering you. You may be going through some form of bondage right now. You may be going through a time in your life where you, you, you can't get a deliverance that, 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 you're, that you are pleading with God for. But that may be your teaching ground. God may be using that to teach you in, 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 the, in, in, the art, in the art of spiritual warfare and to teach you how to cast out de devils. Because God has given us authority over demons. He has given us authority even over sicknesses. And I want all of you to come to that place where you can walk in God's divine realm. That you can walk in the realm known as the kingdom of heaven. That you can walk in the realm where, where demons will be subject to you. That way you can cast out a demon just by saying the name of Jesus. And that you can, lay your, you can lay your hands on the lame and they'll begin to walk. You can lay your hands on the blind and, and they'll receive their eyesight. That I, I truly believe that this is the inheritance of the saints of God. And I want all of you to step into that place where you are walking in authority. And, and as you surrender to God, as you receive this word, even as you're receiving this word this evening, that allow this word to become part of you. I'm not teaching you my word. I'm not teaching you, teaching you my agenda. I'm giving you God's agenda. And I want you to allow God to use you in these end of days. I'm telling you, God wants to use every one of you. There are so many of us that limit God's ministries to the pulpit ministry, to where the pastor or the evangelist or, or the apostle or, or whoever is at the pulpit giving a message. But that, that, that form of delivery is a very limited form of delivery. It will last 15 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe two hours. But what takes place after that is the ministry where we are going out to the nations of the world, where we are allowing God to use us and, and allowing ourselves to become His vessels. And the key to becoming His vessels is to learn how to empty yourself and to empty yourself of your own agenda to empty yourself of your own prejudices, to empty yourself of anything that, that, that inhibits God's will in your life. And you empty yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to fill your mouth and to allow, His, allow the words that come out of your mouth to be His words and to allow the Holy Spirit to be the minister. And, and, and you know, it, the greatest form of humility is when you surrender your will to the will of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph learned that. I mean, through the things that he suffered, he learned obedience, as we see in Jesus' life, as he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And I'm telling you, your ministry is going to become more complete as you, as you learn how to surrender to him through your suffering. And look at what takes place in Joseph's life in Genesis 40, verse 5. We'll go ahead and read the verse, and this is another double. Joseph interprets two dreams. He interprets the dreams of the chief butler and the chief baker. 
And Genesis 45, I'm sorry, Genesis 40, verse 5 reads, And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. Now, I want you, I want you to see something here. Both the butler and the baker, baker had prophetic dreams. They received dreams from heaven. Now, these two men, to my understanding, were both wicked men. They were both idolaters. They were not walking, serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they, they were entrenched in the culture and the wickedness of Egypt. But yet, they had prophetic dreams. They had prophetic dreams that were given by God. See, one thing that takes place is, as in Joseph's journey, because the anointing of the Spirit of God is contagious. And, what, and just as the anointing transformed Joseph and gave him favor with everyone around him and how God kept promoting him through every single a promotion and demotion, and then a promotion, that through every single event, that the anointing was always there and the anointing brought him favor. But that anointing of favor was for service. It was not to make him feel good. It was, for, it was for God's plans for his life and his plans for Israel and his plans for the entire world. The next thing I want to share with you about the anointing of the Spirit of God is that the, with the anointing being contagious, that it, the anointing caused those around him to have prophetic dreams. So even those that are wicked are receiving the overflow. They're receiving the anointing. Even when King Saul, when he came in the presence of the prophets, he, he, he fell down and began to prophesy. See, even, even those that are not walking with God can, can walk in the realm of the prophetic just by being in the presence of those that are prophetic. In the days of Elijah, there were more prophets present than any other time in Israel's history. Because wherever Elijah went, people would become prophetic. They would become prophets. And many other prophets, because in each place, in the four places that, jo that Elijah ministered, in, in, in um, Gilgal, and Bethel, and Jericho, and Jordan, the, his, the circuit that he, tra he traveled continuously, he raised up prophets wherever he went. And right before Eli Elijah was taken to heaven, and Elisha was to become the recipient of that mantle, every place that they went before Elijah was taken up, that all the prophets would mock Elisha, saying, don't you know that your fathers, your fathers can be taken up to heaven today? And, and, and in a sense, that they were, they were mocking Elisha. And the one reason why they were mocking Elisha was because they all thought they were these great prophets and they, didn't, they did not need Elijah. But one thing they did not realize is the, prophet, the, the prophetic mantle that was upon their lives was a, was a direct result or the direct output of, of Elijah being present. And so when Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind and the mantle fell down, the only person that caught that mantle was Elisha. And m many of the prophets at that time lost their gift of prophecy because their, 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 their level of prophecy was dependent upon their leader. And the same thing's happening here in the sense, well, jo wherever Joseph is, that prophetic mantle affects those around him, that even those that are evil are having prophetic dreams. And I have been in miracle services, I've been, I have been in church services where the power of God is so, so poured out and the glory is so thick 
that I have seen those that don't believe in Jesus being healed. I, I've seen miracles taking place in the lives of those that are walking so far away from God. And, and that's part of God's divine providence. It's part of God's mercy. And, and to show us that God is in control. And often the, the blessings that people receive are not the direct output of one's works, but just because of God's God's mercy for us. Amen. I'm telling you, I don't deserve the blessings that God gives to me, but God is so merciful. God is so loving. And, and through his divine providence, he, he, he takes care of me. And he takes care of all of us, doesn't he? So the, the main concept I want to share with you here is that the anointing is contagious. Now I want to share with you about Pharaoh's dreams and contrast Pharaoh's dreams to Joseph's dreams and Jacob's dreams. Joseph's dreams and Jacob's dreams are very, very similar. And Joseph began to dream after he received the coat of many colors from his father. Because just as Elisha received the mantle from Elijah, Joseph receives the mantle from Jacob. And we're going to contrast the dreams of Jacob and Joseph to the dreams of Pharaoh. So let's go back to the first verse in Parsha Miketz. Genesis 41, verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. Now, one thing I want you to know about this verse here is um, we don't have the most accurate translation in our English Bibles. Because there, there's some words missing that we find in the Hebrew Bible. And in Bereshit chapter 41, verse 1, from Chabad.org, it reads, for the same, the same verse, read, It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh was dreaming, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. So it, it, the first part of the verse says, at the end of two full years. That lines up with the King James translation. Then it says that Pharaoh was dreaming. But in our, in our King James Bible, it says that Pharaoh dreamed in the past tense. See, often when the translators will translate into, into our Bibles, they, they, they will make the, the verses grammatically correct. But when they, when they make that conversion to grammatically correct, some of the meaning is lost. And you're not getting the meaning that, that God intended from the Hebrew text. And so when you read it from the Hebrew text, the interpretation I'm going to give you will make more sense. It came to pass at the end of the two full years that Pharaoh was dreaming. See, it doesn't say that Pharaoh dreamed in the past tense. It says that Pharaoh was dreaming. And the teaching here is that Pharaoh had the same dream every single night for two years, but he could not remember the dream when he, when he woke up. And... So, uh, can you imagine the torment that, jo that Pharaoh was going through, having the same dream every single night? And it wasn't till the end, the fulfillment of, the, of that two-year period, that God caused Joseph to be taken out of prison, shaved, clean, put on clean raiment, brought before Pharaoh, and he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had two dreams. That's, an that's another double that we see in Joseph's life. Now, let's go back to verse 1 for a second. And it says, the last part of the verse, it says that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. See, standing by the river is significant. 
And before I explain to you what standing by the river means, I want you to contrast this to Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, verse 13. And, and, this, and it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it. This is Jacob's letter. And the Lord says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And see, when, when, jo when Jacob dreamed, he was right in the path of God's divine providence. He was right there. He's right at the bottom of the ladder, and then he's seeing a ladder ascending, connecting heaven to earth with angels ascending and descending, and he's right there in the midst of it, and he's part of that dream. In Joseph's dream, he sees the sheaves bowing down to him. He's right in the center of that dream. In the dream of Pharaoh, this is where the contrast takes place. Where was, where was Pharaoh standing? He was not standing in the river. He was not standing in the flow of God's divine providence. He was standing by the Nile River. He was standing by the river. He was like a, he was a, by, a bystander. And see, Pharaoh lives his life almost by fate. There's no divine providence. There's no trust in God. And Pharaoh saw life like a river with himself standing on the riverbank outside of its flow. He's a passive bystander in what's taking place in the earth. In contrast, Joseph and Jacob as well they see their lives within the field and they see themselves laboring they, and they see themselves binding sheaves and they, they see themselves as being part of God's plan. See, uh, there's, a, there's a huge difference between Joseph, Jacob, and Pharaoh. Pharaoh is just a bystander. He, he, he doesn't trust in divine providence. He trusts in luck. He trusts in, uh, you know, just may the best thing happen to me. But he, don't, he doesn't see himself having any control. And he doesn't trust in God. Yet, when we look at Pharaoh, he's just a bystander. Whereas Joseph and Jacob trust in God's hand, being involved with every de single detail of our lives. So we rely on divine providence. The Hebrew word for divine providence is hashkaha. The Hebrew words for personal divine providence is hashkaha protis. And our strength comes from the Lord, and we rely upon God for direction. And I encourage you to rely on God for everything, not just your spiritual walk. I encourage you to trust in God in your relationships, with your families, with your jobs, with your businesses, with the contracts. I encourage you to trust in God for everything. If you're applying to colleges right now, I encourage you to trust God to direct you in the way in, to the colleges that you apply to. And when the acceptances come, to rely upon the Holy Spirit to direct you to the to the award that you should accept. Amen? So now let's go to Genesis 41, verse 17 and 18, and we're almost finished here. Pharaoh tells his dream to Joseph. And it says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven kind, fat-fleshed and well-favored, and they fed in a meadow. And this dream not only is not only prophetic, and not only is God revealing to, to Joseph what's going to take place over the next 14 years, with seven years of, of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, the dream is also revealing Pharaoh's heart. 
See, sometimes when we dream, God will reveal our heart to us. And sometimes the most painful thing to receive from God is the, is the stuff that's in our hearts. Because sometimes the things in our heart are not always good things. Sometimes the things in our heart are selfish. Sometimes the things in our heart are, 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 are not about God's kingdom. And God will sometimes speak to us in prophetic dreams and even reveal things to us that are not pleasing to Him. And the thing that's not pleasing to God is the way, the way Pharaoh views life. He sees life as a river with him being an, an, a, an innocent bystander outside of its flow, passive to what's going to take place. And I want you to know that that's not the way we live life. Because I'm telling you, no matter how things look, we're not just bystanders. We are active participants. And if there's a famine in the land, we can fall on our faces before God and, and, and in intercession and to pray that God will bring rain. If, if, there, if there is a morality in the land, we can pray to God and intercede and, and repent upon the sins of our nation and pray that God will turn it around. If there, in our land where there is, there is so much abortion and so much bloodshed of innocent babies, that we can intercede and we can pray that God will turn it around. Amen? So we are not like Pharaoh as innocent bystanders outside of the flow. We are active participants in God's creation. Amen? And Joseph lived his dream. He was living the dream. Because in everything that takes place, he remembers his dream. In Genesis 37, it says, Behold, we, we were binding sheaves in the field. See, he's an active participant in, in, in what God is doing. He's an active participant in the dream. And God is honoring Joseph that he is, he is part of it. And, and, and then he says, Lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. To my sheaf. So what he, what he was prophesying, that in the future... The 11 sons, the, uh, all 11 sons, the other 11 sons of Jacob would bow down to Joseph. And as we see the events that take place, Joseph does not reveal himself to all of his brothers. I mean, he doesn't reveal himself during the events when he met with them. What he does is he, he waits for the fulfillment of the dream before he reveals himself to his brothers. See, there were events where not all the brothers were present. It wasn't until Benjamin, the youngest, was brought to Egypt and all 11 brothers were present that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, as we'll study about next week in Parsha Vayigash. And he followed his dreams to the cr crossing of every T and the dotting of every I. He learned how to trust in divine providence. He took God's dreams literally and he followed God's plan. Amen? And so, that's one thing I want you to share here. This is one of the key points of tonight's teaching is that you learn how to live your dreams. In the way Pharaoh envisioned life, he saw life as a free lunch. If you've heard that term before. And in, in, in his view, his philosophy of life was there are no choices in your life. There's no responsibility. You simply stand on the riverbank and accept whatever comes your way. Whereas, or in con as in contrast, Joseph sees God involved with every single aspect of, of, of life. And 
I, I'm not going to do it tonight, but I do encourage you to read Genesis chapter 41, verses 2 through 8, and verse 16, where we see the dreams being interpreted. So the first thing I want you to see is I'm going to bring up several points here as we're closing. Pharaoh relates his dreams to Joseph, and, and Joseph offers him this interpretation. First thing that, God, that Joseph tells Pharaoh is that the two dreams that Pharaoh had were one dream. And when you have something twice, God is declaring to Pharaoh that he's about to bring something to pass very quickly. See, when, 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 you, see, when, when you see two dreams come to pass that have the same interpretation, that, that is a signal that God's going to bring that dream into fruition very quickly. And the seven years, the seven good cows that he, dreamt, that he dreamt about were seven good years, seven years of plenty, seven years of prosperity. And then in the next, set, in the next the dream, we see seven thin and ill-favored cows that came up after them are seven years. And, the, and these seven ill-favored cows represent seven years of famine. So what God is, has revealed to Joseph is that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. If you were to live your life as Pharaoh, you would accept this as fate. But if you're living your life under, the, under divine providence, you can know that God, that God will give you a plan to, to, to bring remedy for what's going to take place over the next 14 years. And even what's taking place here in America is that we can look, we can accept what looks like fate, we can accept what appears like we've lost a battle, or you can look at this as an opportunity to pray more, to intercede more, to get on your face more before God, and allow God to turn things around. Amen? And even if God doesn't turn things around, that we can pray that God will minimize the damage. Amen? Because I'm telling you, we, we have to be our active participants in God's plan in creation. That's what causes revival to take place in the land, is that when we, offer, when we empty ourselves of self and, and allow ourselves to become vessels of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph advises Pharaoh. He doesn't only tell Pharaoh what his dream means, and not only reveals to Pharaoh that we'll have seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, he also tells Pharaoh what to do. He says to Pharaoh, seek out a man, understanding and wise, appoint him over the land of Egypt. This viceroy should oversee the collection and storage of the surplus food that will be produced in the seven years of plenty for use during the years of famine. And that's what got, you know what Pharaoh did here? No, no I'm sorry, what Joseph did here? Joseph wrote his own job description. How many, how many of you would like to write your own job description? That is exactly what Joseph did. And everything that Joseph said, Pharaoh says, do it. He basically put Joseph in charge of the job description. So, and overnight, he, he, he is promoted to the position of viceroy over Egypt. And in verse 41 of Genesis 41, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it's just so awesome to see what God will do. And there's something I want to share with you. It's a little tidbit from the Midrash, from a rabbinic commentary. It, and the Midrash teaches us that in order for a person to, be, to become elevated to a position like Pharaoh, they would have to speak all 70 languages of Egypt. 
And that was the final test of Joseph. The scripture does not record this, but this is recorded in commentary. And the, and the, and the Midrash says that in, in order to become, in order to be elevated to royalty, one must know all 70 languages of Egypt. And so, and the reason is, Pharaoh not only sought to, to rule his subjects by force, but he also desired to control their minds as well. And the, and the way you control one's mind is by knowing their languages. And we're going to learn more about this when we get to, the, to Exodus chapter 1, when we, get to Parsh, when we get to Parsha Shemot in the first Torah portion in Exodus. And because uh, Pharaoh was a master at controlling people. He was an expert at manipulation. He was an expert at propaganda. And we see this very, we see these very same skills that, that, that were personified in Adolf Hitler. How he was able to turn a whole nation against the Jewish people. And so one thing that Midrash teaches is that, that in, order, in, order, in order for Pharaoh to control people, he had to speak all 70 languages of his people that he governed over. And in order for Joseph to be elevated, he would have to speak those same languages as well. And the Midrash teaches us that the, the, during the night before he was taken out of prison, the angel Gabriel came and taught Joseph the 70 languages that he needed to learn. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that God was equipping Joseph. And before Joseph appeared before Pharaoh, he was given all the knowledge that he needed in order to go into that meeting prepared.